Under the Influence podcast. I'm your host, Whitney Eckes, a serial entrepreneur and social media guru that has an infatuation with all things business related. On the show, we bring together brands, creators, and thought leaders to discuss the power of influence. Each episode is jam-packed with learnings, firsthand stories, and conversations from guests that truly have their finger on the pulse. Stay tuned as we dive into the stories and explore the impact they're making by getting under the influence. Hello, friends. Welcome back to the show. Oh, what a week we are having, you guys. I just feel like there's just so many things. Like, there's just so many interesting little things happening in 2023. One thing I'm really excited about is I'm super excited about all this movement in the social media industry. And I'm going to go into today's guest, but I'm just really interested in all these different things and apps that are launching. I'm just recently got on Lemonade and I feel like it's a glorified Pinterest. And I'm a big fan of Pinterest because as I've mentioned on the show, I feel like Pinterest is extremely underrated for what it does. But Lemonade like reminds me of like this Pinterest that doesn't send traffic outward. Like for example, like the whole point of Pinterest, right? Is you have all these pins, they're all linked up to these different links. You know, you click on the pin that takes you to someone else's website and whatever. Like the whole point of it is like driving traffic outside of the platform where like Lemonade is like, it keeps it on the platform, which I don't know how I feel about because it's also giving me a lot of like Instagram vibes. But all that to say is that the social media front right now is so interesting. And so is the creator economy. Now we have full-on agencies and platforms and just legit robust businesses built around creators solely working with brands or working on their own personal brand or mission that is generating a huge portion of revenue and income for everyone. So let's go ahead and get into today's guest because we're going to dive in to all of the things, creator economy, social media, the whole whole nine yards. You guys, I'm welcoming on Miss Pamela Zapata. She's a New York-based talent and marketing executive who brings a unique range of experience to the table, including over 12 years of mastering influencer strategy, integrated marketing, talent relations, casting, and production for some of the biggest networks, brands, and agencies in the industry. In 2019, she founded Society18, a bi-coastal influencer management and consulting agency with a focus on multicultural, multi-ethnic content creators. Zapata leverages her unique strategic insights to maximize sponsorships and optimize campaign performance to benefit both her clients and brands. You guys, she is a powerhouse. And she is doing things that most influencer relations and agencies are not doing. So prior to launching Society 18, she was also Senior Director of Influencer Marketing at Star Power, where she oversaw multiple campaign and influencer casting initiatives for key brands such as Estee Lauder, Bobby Brown, Mac, Becca, La Mer. She has Star Power. Also, the name of, the, of this brand that she used to work for is Star Power. But you know what? Without further ado, let's just get right into it. She is a powerhouse. I'm so excited to have her on, and especially with so much timeliness in what we're talking about. So get ready for just an awesome, awesome episode, you guys. Please welcome Pamela to the show.
Pam, I'm so excited to have you on today. I have so many questions for you and me and you share a super similar synergy when it comes to the influencer field. You have created this incredible career just off the influencer movement in general and really like talking to the creator economy. But now you've actually launched your own agency. So I'm excited to get into all the things with you. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. So let's kind of start at the beginning because I feel like me and you may have shared a lot of the same timeline and flow when it comes to social media and influencers. I came from a time where before influencers were a thing, they were bloggers. And then before that, they were opinion leaders. And so I want to kind of hear your story of how you even got into the influencer space in the first place. I started my career in entertainment, actually. I went to school for broadcast journalism. I thought I wanted to be a TV host. Realized I hated being in front of the camera. But then once I moved out to LA, I did a couple internships where I worked behind the scenes and realized I loved helping on the producing end, helping on the casting side, working with talent. My first job out here in LA was at Ryan Seacrest Productions, working in development, so developing TV shows. Uh, And I got to work on casting for one of their newer shows at the time, which was Shaz of Sunset, which is a show on Bravo, which is uh, Persians living in LA. And I remember my job was to go out and find Persians to put on, you know, this show. And it was so fascinating to me, just understanding people and their stories and really what motivates them and drives them. So that got me really interested in just working with talent and talent before, you know, the influencers really came into the picture. This was almost 12 to 13 years ago now. And so from there, I decided I really wanted to work in talent and casting. I loved giving people a platform to tell their story and to kind of showcase their life and have other people like audiences really resonate with other people's like stories and what motivates them and inspires them and things like that. So from Ryan Seacrest, I went to work at E and I worked in talent and casting for about four years. From there, I really started to understand that our appetite for talent on screen turned into finding influencers versus just traditional talent. So instead of mm. casting, a, you know, someone who was a host or someone who was a reality TV star, they wanted to find YouTubers and see if those YouTubers could bring their audience to the linear side, which is like broadcast TV. I started seeing that more and more that we would be casting creators on YouTube and Instagram. And I was like, there's something here. I feel like this is bubbling and it's going to really turn into something. So from then I went to work at this company called Style Hall, was an MCN. So essentially it was a company that helped creators monetize their YouTube channel. So helped with like rev share, helped with growth. And then I went to this startup called Sweetie High and we were super Gen Z focused. And at the time it was Musical.ly, not TikTok. So Mm -hmm. it was bringing a talent that had a presence on TikTok now before it was Musical.ly and bringing to the studio and connecting with them and creating social and digital assets. And we realized that things that we would post from these creators would perform really, really well. And then we started working with brands to activate these creators and so it started there, really. I think I think that's where like the seed was planted. And I was like, there's something here. I want to learn more. So I moved to New York, worked at an agency called UEG, which is called United Entertainment Group. And our biggest client was Unilever. So really uh, working with a lot of personal care brands. So Dove, Suave, Tresemme, and essentially overseeing a lot of their influencer programs. So everything from strategy through casting, negotiations, all the way through reporting and insights and all of that. That kind of gave me everything I really needed to understand in terms of, you know, how do you cast the right creators for certain campaigns? What does the content need to look like, right? How do you get a consumer down the funnel? 
And then from there, I went to an agency called Star Power and our biggest client was Estee Lauder. So I went from personal mm-hmm. care to beauty and was really working with these like beauty creators and, you know, looking at what are the differences between marketing? You know, when I was at UEG, we were doing shampoos and conditioners that are priced at a lower price point versus selling a $40, $50 foundation. Maybe there's more YouTube um, and educational content there, right? Application, just because it is a higher price point, you really want to sell the product. So it was really, really insightful. And essentially what I noticed after working in the space for all these years is that there were a lot of creators that didn't really understand their value in terms of how to price out certain scopes of work and more so even creators of color. So when I was receiving rates on the casting end, their rates were coming in way lower because they were self-representing. They started YouTube as a hobby and then didn't realize it can be this massive monetizable business. And so I wanted to create a space where creators could come and uh, feel valued and help them understand their value and worth and help them negotiate deals, give them exposure to brands that they may not have access to by themselves. So a lot of pitching and just helping them with strategy. A lot of creators, you know, who started in the natural hair space really wanted to be more lifestyle creators, but they didn't have any lifestyle content in their feed. So how do you, Mm -hmm. you know, change your content and have your audience adapt to, you know, a new brand, um, which is a lot of strategy. Wow. I mean, there's so many things to unpack there. I mean, you had so many moving (laughs) parts. (laughs) One thing that I I really want to touch on here, and I don't think it's as openly discussed, and maybe it's because, you know, we hear a lot from the creator side, but we don't really hear from the people that are representing the influencers for the brands, right? Or we don't hear a lot of the kind of internal communication around what does diversity look like for the influencer space. And you have this incredible quote on your website, and I want to read it. It says, diversity should not just be a checkbox. It should be an intentional initiative to represent what our society looks like. Can you explain what you saw in the market from the influencer and creator side and what led you to this mission to incorporate more diversity into these influencer programs and into what you were doing on your day to day? Yeah. So a lot of what I was seeing and where that quote actually came from was on the agency side. So we would have you know, specific campaign. And a lot of times they would say, all right, let's class like a black woman, a Hispanic woman, a Caucasian woman, an Asian woman. It just felt like they were just checking off these boxes versus really being inclusive and diverse and not just finding a black or a brown woman, but a woman who might be Muslim, who might wear a hijab, a woman who might be plus size, a woman who might have very, very deep skin tone and really, really coily hair. Like someone from the LGBTQ community, right? Like not just Mm -hmm. putting people in different colors, like diversity. A lot of times we think, you know, race and ethnicity. We don't really think religion. We don't really think all of these other niches and subcultures. And I think for us, it was really important to strive to represent all types of women because a lot of the rosters Mm -hmm. that I was receiving on the agency side were, you know, black and brown creators, but a lot of the same type of creators, you know, the really beautiful Mm -hmm. and polished ones. And that's great from an aspirational perspective, but if you really want to relate and connect with people, not everyone looks like that, you know, we don't fit those molds. So I wanted to create a space where I could bring on creators from all walks of life, all races, ethnicities, religions, cultures, subcultures, and make them feel like they were seen and heard uh, because I felt like there was a lack of rosters that were representing what I thought diversity should look like. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. It's really interesting, too, because I feel like the landscape, you know, myself kind of like just just talking from my own perspective, it seems like there's the kind of the stereotypical approach where a creator is like a white blonde woman that, you know, is kind of the target enthusiast and kind of has this like total shape and form, which I think we've seen a lot of 
expansion in that. But from the representation standpoint, I would have to say that you are correct. I feel like there's is this sense from brands where it's a checkoff box. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like, well, we need to kind of close in on it, but it's not necessarily programmed into like what is actually achievable and what's actually going to resonate to the entire landscape of the audience. When you created Society 18, how were you kind of looking at that when you were going to work with these brands? Like, how were you kind of taking that and adding that lift into your business? You know, when I first started, I had worked with some creators when I was on the agency side. And so I reached out to those first because I was I knew that I could immediately help them just in terms of rates and what they were charging. Yeah. So I started there. And then over time, a lot of my clients came through referral. And mm. just thankfully, a lot of them were mostly women of color, which felt wow. like they were undervalued, not getting these opportunities. And they did come from all walks of life. So like, even though I didn't intentionally scout out talent, I kind of started receiving a lot of referrals through the work that we were doing. And a lot of the creators, my sixth or fifth client was like a plus size model. And, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, after that, I brought on a Muslim woman who wore a hijab, had a really high audience outside of the U.S. So we worked on building her U.S. audience. So women from all walks of life just kind of started gravitating towards me in this weird way, which I'm so grateful because I felt like they started seeing, you know, what I was creating and the value that I was providing all of these other women and none of them who looked alike, you know, similar in terms of niches where a lot of, you know, women of color started in the natural hair space, but very different in terms of branding and body types and ethnicities. So I felt like that was something that just naturally and organically happened as I uh, started building out. Which is, I mean, like such an amazing testament that it was all from word of mouth. I mean, clearly what you were doing was so empowering and helpful and able to get them, you know, again, more opportunity, which is insane. So when you look at what you've built, you know, because now I want to kind of move into the entrepreneurial questions in the influencer game is so interesting. It started out as like the wild, wild west. No one really had any idea if this was just like a bubble that was going to pop. There's even talk that, you know, this isn't going to last forever. There's talk that now it's an entire economy in and of itself. What made you say, okay, I'm going to go from working in these agencies. I'm going to go from working with these really reputable big name brands And I'm going to start my own thing. What was like the catalyst and like the jump off point for you where you're like, I want this. I want to own my own thing. This is for me. Yeah. So it's interesting because I feel like there's moments throughout your career where different things happen and you kind of Mm -hmm. put a pin in them and you're like, I'm going to get back to that. I'm not sure what that means, but I know there's something there. And I think that had started even way back when I was at Style Hall, which was when my first time working in management, they gave me a roster and they said, hey, like, bring in, I think it was like, you have to bring in over a hundred K in revenue for them. And I was like, Oh my God, how am I going to, am I going to do that? And they're like, well, <laughs> your hand and reach out and pitch your roster and sell your talent. And I was like, okay. And then in a couple of weeks I was able to close. I think it, for me, it was a lot at the moment, but I closed maybe 30 K in deals. And I was like, wait, like that's, wow. that's something from nothing. Right. Yeah. And so that's where the seed was planted. And then I think throughout my career, I realized after I went from Style Hall to Sweetie High, I realized there was a lot of influencers, especially in like the musically TikTok space that didn't have representation, were being rep by their manager, had no idea how to navigate the landscape, didn't understand how to charge for certain scopes of work. And I was like, you know what? There's something here. They, they need help. I would love to work in management, but I'm not ready just yet. And then from there, I moved to New York, worked at these you know massive agencies working on these big brands and then realized even more so 
creators of color were underrepresented, not really valued. Um, newer creators, younger creators into the space also didn't understand their value. So it was kind of like a little bit of a, a journey. And even when I quit Star Power to start Society 18, I was terrified. I had a plan in my head. I was like, I'm going to work, you know, two years in this role. I'll save up all this money and then I'll quit and then I'll start. And it was whether you believe in the universe or God or whatever you're, you know, whatever you truly believe in, there was a moment where I hit the wall, I hit a wall and I was working like 60 hour weeks and I was tired and I was just like so unhappy, but I loved what I was doing. I just was burning out and I just wanted to do something a little bit different and do something more impactful. And there was like this massive epiphany that I had. And it was like God telling me, okay, this is your time to go. Like you need to go start this initiative like right now. And I was wow. like, well, I'm not ready. Like I'm so tired. <laughs> I have to want me to be VP next year. Like I can do this. I'm working on this massive Estee Lauder account. And it was like, it didn't even matter what I wanted. Cause it was just, it was almost bigger than me. It's wild. I can't even explain it, but it was a moment of clarity where it was like, you need to just take a leap of faith and trust that this is going to work out and it's going to be fine and it's going to be fulfilling and you're going to be good. And then worst wow. case scenario, I think we all have enough experience and think me and you is in the industry where we can go get another job if we need to, right? Like yeah. if it, I failed and had to go back to corporate, I could do that. So I gave myself a little bit of grace and, you know, told myself, you know, it's going to be fine. Give yourself six months, try it out. If you fail, get a job. Like it mm -hmm. took you two seconds to get a job out here once you move to New York, like you'll be fine. And I did it. And it was the scariest thing I'd ever done. I don't have any entrepreneurs in my family. I didn't have any investors. Oh, I, wow. had nothing. I just had a savings account. And thankfully I had started consulting on the side earlier in the year. So I had three creators that I was working with, but I had to think about, all right, if I'm going to make my salary, how many deals do I need to close, right? Mm -hmm. To be able to hit, let's say hundred K for a salary for myself. That means yeah. 500 million deals. Great. How am I going to get there? So it was kind of working backwards. And then in six months, I actually closed 500K in deals and made. Whoa. Yeah. And Your first six was, months in a business? Yeah. <laughs> Girl. Wow. Yeah. 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 So for me, that was all of the kind of confirmation that I needed to just continue moving forward. But it was very, it was terrifying at first. I have to say, it's not for the faint of heart. Mm. It's not for, you know, it's, it was not easy. That was actually going to be kind of my next question for you was what, what did, you know, that first year look like? So if you're speaking to someone that maybe feels that same feeling in their gut where it's bigger than me, I, I need to go do this. What is a good piece of advice that you would give them when you look back on that first year of owning your agency? Yeah, I would say talk to a lot of other women entrepreneurs that are in this space that have done it already. Because I feel like I praise all of those women that came into my life at one point or another, or even like a couple months before I quit to really give me that push that I needed. Because a lot of the women that I had in my network, well, for the most part, were all, you know, working women who had full-time jobs. And that there were select women, like maybe four or five that I had that had started their own business either a year or two prior. And so I just tapped into them and I wanted to just be a sponge. I was like, how did you do it? What did you do? How do you know when it's time? Like, yeah. how, is anyone, how do you know if people are going to want to work with you? Because I think we all have our moments where we have imposter syndrome. And for me, I was like, all right, I've worked on this side for so long. I worked in management for like a couple of months, but I hadn't really been at a big management company. And I had a lot of other women who worked in, you know, who had worked at agencies, and at management companies say, you know, it might be good to start another management company. 
first and then do your own thing and kind of just ease in that way. And yeah, someone just told me, just do it. Like, you'll be fine. Cause I did get an offer to go to a manager company, but I was like, you know what? Let me just like try it out and see if I can do it on my own. But I would say like, definitely connect with your network, talk to other women who've been there or men Mm -hmm. and just really pick their brains and just be a sponge and be open to those conversations and just trust your gut and your intuition. Cause if your gut is telling you it's time and you're too scared to do it full time, start it as a side hustle, like a start as a side job, do it on your nights or your weekends, which nobody wants to do. But it's truly like the only way to, you know, freedom. Because mm-hmm. once you get to find a way to create a space for yourself where you have your own business, that is truly like financial freedom and just freedom to kind of do whatever you want and build your own life. And it, that there's something so freeing about that. Mm, I think that is such beautiful advice. And I, I love that you're talking on freedom too, because I think that just a lot of being entrepreneurial is wanting to create that freedom. It does come at a different cost in the sense mm-hmm. when it comes to responsibilities and sacrifice. But I, I truly believe that. And I think that's a great piece of advice to give anyone that's listening. Yeah. Get Super is an instant wellness beverage brand created by moi. So good. You won't believe it's instant. It's for those seeking convenient energy sans the jitters. That's right. We put good old-fashioned broad-spectrum hemp CBD into our organic Arabica instant coffee. It's probably Arabica, but I call it Arabica because it sounds more fun. Get Super and our hemp extract contains all the naturally occurring cannabinoids and turpentines. We include about 20 milligrams of hemp per each stick pack to give you all the fun, calm energy, plus that true entourage effect. All the benefits without getting quote unquote high, as all of our products are non-psychoactive. Get Super has been featured in Forbes US Today and was named top startup to watch in 2021 by Yahoo Finance. Also, you guys, Get Super has helped me with my anxiety. It helps me sleep better at night. I've mentioned to you guys my whole mental health journey. And honestly, this company was a just passion and project of love because of what I've gone through and what I've walked through with my own depression and anxiety. I hope that it will help you the same exact way it has helped me. So go ahead and get your 15% off by using the code under the influence 15 at checkout. That's right. Under the influence 15 at checkout. Where do you see this space going? I mean, I feel like you are so entrenched in it. You obviously talked about TikTok. You talked about Musical.ly. You talked about how you were kind of on the cusp of these now massive platforms that have kind of changed the trajectory of social media. Where do you see the kind of creator economy going? And is there an economy? A hundred percent. I think it's on the up and up. I think it's going to continue to go up. I think it's gone up in billions. It's a billion multi-billion dollar industry and it's just going to continue to grow. And I think there's just so many opportunities for creators and creatives to monetize their business, whether it's through brand partnerships, through their own endeavors, whether it's, you know, launching a palette or a clothing line or even through affiliate marketing. You know, there's so many creators that make money in their sleep just by linking products, putting them in their highlights. For me, it's the Amazon hacks and the Amazon... Like I am, (laughs) 
organizational, you know, like I will buy anything that's going to make my life more organized. So just thinking about, you know, as a creator, like how can you create a business that can continue to make money even while you're sleeping? So that's like affiliate marketing, uh, that's creating a business outside of just, you know, your brand thinking about how can you monetize this platform you've created and tap into the audience that you have to continue to build because who knows what's going to happen, right? With these platforms, obviously Instagram and TikTok are like the biggest YouTube is also out there. Um, we're not doing as much on YouTube, but there's still a huge platform, but thinking about maybe for me, we always like to push our creators to start their own blog or website so that they can push their audience to a platform that they fully own. Cause these platforms, mm-hmm. you know, now mm-hmm. there's lemonade, which is a new emerging platform. Yeah. Who knows if it's going to stick. So it's like really making sure that you are continually looking forward to see what's coming down the pipe. What are the emerging platforms you should be active on? And then how can you build an audience outside of these verticals that you can, whether it's a newsletter that you create, an audience that you can take with you anywhere you go? I think that is an incredible piece of advice because again, you're you're answering the questions as they're coming to my brain. And my next question was going to be, what's the biggest piece of advice for a creator that's wanting to start and really monetize this. But I agree with you. When we look back to when social media entered the market, it was this discussion of, oh, social media is a bubble. It will never be this refined economy. It will never be something that generates, you know, a full new stream of revenue into basically the world. And now, you know, and then from there, we saw influencers and we thought the same thing, or there was the discussion of that. And now it's like, this is completely on its own standalone. And it's diversifying itself between all these different platforms. It's not just Instagram. It's not just Facebook. It's not just a blog. It's, you know, like you said, it's YouTube, it's Amazon. I think now there's, there's discussion of other major retailers launching their own, you know, influencer storefronts for Mm -hmm. their creators. So I love that. And I completely agree. When you think about how many creators there are, do you feel like it is incredibly saturated and like those that are going to make it big should have got in early or do you feel like there's still opportunity for those that want to start today to be able to actually make a livelihood off this yeah uh, i do think it's extremely saturated however i don't think it's too late to start i feel like there's creators that started during the pandemic on tiktok mm-hmm. and are now millionaires who would have thought, you know, they quit their full-time job. They took TikTok as a hobby. They blew up. They're in the millions. And now they're making millions of dollars. I don't think it's ever too late to start. I do think though, because it is so saturated, you need to find either your niche or ways to stand out and differentiate yourself because there's so many creators in the marketplace that brands can work with. So it's like figuring out how to really dive into your niche. How, how are you going to be different than all these other creators? And also your insights and your, a lot of times on the management side, we get a lot of requests from brands for insights. So click through Mm -hmm. rates, impression rates, story views, making sure you have an engaged audience that's, you know, engaging with your platform that can buy from you, which is a huge, huge metric for success. Like any brand that can bring a creator onto a campaign and that can sell for them is like gold. So just figuring out ways to differentiate yourself, strengthening your brand and your messaging so people know exactly who you are, what to go to you for, and create a loyal audience because that is going to help sustain your business. I love that so much. Pam, when you 
go to think about kind of what influence means and the power of it. What are some ways that you feel like, you know, these creators and or these brands can be empowering their communities through their influence, whether it's a creator that's speaking to their audience, whether it's a brand that's employing different influencers to represent their brand and their messaging? What's maybe one positive thing or one thing that you think that they should be responsible for to their to their community? I think authenticity is really important. I know we have a lot of creators that won't partner with certain brands because it doesn't align with their messaging. It doesn't align with the platform they've built. It just doesn't align with them. And I feel Mm -hmm. like they only work with the brands that they actually use and really care about and can align with in terms of branding. So I feel like that's going to be really important because there's a lot of creators that will just take a paycheck and will work with whoever. And it's just, you know, it's just not like the best look necessarily. And also I think like the more education you can provide your audience with, whether you're a brand or a creator in terms of, you know, I follow some creators that are really big into like financial wellness and health Mm -hmm. and abundance. And I've learned so much about that, whether it's about tax write-offs or about investing for your future. And it's like those tidbits of information are so beneficial for people just to, you know, set their own lives up for success. So I feel like authenticity and just like education overall, like you can't, it's a win across the board. If those are kind of like your pillars, I think it's really important. Beautiful. I mean, I I couldn't agree more. And I th- I love what you're speaking to in the authenticity, because I feel like nowadays we're so groomed to understand that we're already being marketed to in every different angle and every different situation, whether it's, you know, via a podcast, whether it's social media, whether it's TV, television, entertainment, whatever it is. I think that when something is authentic and it does fit, those are usually the campaigns that are slam dunk. And it also feels like there's an actual piece of like responsibility and the representation when those things are aligned and when you can feel that and it feels true and it feels real. There's been so many incredible creator campaigns this year, but I followed Tinks and I love mm-hmm. Tinks and how she blew up and I love her story. And she honestly feels like someone that I feel like I could go and get a dirty martini with. Yeah. And <laughs> some of her brand campaigns just crack me up because it's mm-hmm. so her and they're so far and in between of different like styles and segments and niches. But like from the Chipotle campaign to the Tabasco hot sauce salad dressing, it's like, it just feels in alignment and it feels yes. like it's, yeah, it's marketing, but it's also just a representation of who she is and like what she actually enjoys, which I love. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the audience knows that as well. I mean, it's the slam dunk across the board. Like it resonates with the audience. The audience is more inclined to purchase. The brand loves it because they're getting, you know, their ROI and then the creators staying true to themselves. It's like a win across the Mm -hmm. board. But I feel like for me, I think people always ask like, what do you think is the strongest form of marketing? And for me, it's like word of mouth and influence marketing. Like there's nothing stronger than that. Because it's like, when I'm looking to buy something, I instantly go to either friends or family or my social to see what I've saved. So it's like, it's so easy to measure versus, you know, a billboard is out there. And I guess they, they serve different, you know, purposes. A billboard sure. is an awareness play as our magazines, things like that. But you can't really track the insights and the data like you can with influencer marketing. You get so nitty gritty with the, the data. So I think it's just, one of the best forms of marketing, it's not going to go away. It's just going to continue to be a force. And even now, look at consumer behavior. Like no one's watching really cable TV anymore. Everything's digital no. streaming, right? Yeah. They're doing in-app, you know, advertisements. Now you're seeing influencer assets in store. 
like it's a massive shift. And it's like, if you're not going to get on board, you're going to get left behind. (laughs) I could not agree more. Pam, you have just been such an awesome, awesome, awesome guest. And I've been, it's been so cool to nerd out on influencer marketing. You know, a lot of times I'm either interviewing a creator or I'm interviewing another agency owner where it's like, they're kind of speaking on behalf of the brands versus what you do, which is actually the representation. So I wanted to end this beautiful interview with one final question. And that is, what does influence mean to you? Influence, what does influence mean to me? I think influence is to inspire or motivate someone to to do something positive. I don't know. I, I have a positive, for me, it has a positive connotation. Like I just think to influence someone, whether it's to purchase or to influence them to educate themselves or to better their lives, to whether it's fitness or health or mental health or whatever the case is, I think influence is to uplift and to inspire. And I think it's a beautiful thing. And I think it's something we should all do. I could not agree more. Pam, thank you so much for coming on the show. Where can everyone find you? How can they work with you or DM you or just ask you any of the questions? Well, thank you so much for having me. Uh, you can follow us at uh, Site18 on Instagram or Site18.com is our website or myself. It's Pamela Zapata on Instagram or PamelaZapata.com. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much, Pam. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you.